0: Welcome to Ascend and Transcend. I'm your coach, Elizabeth Pearson. On today's episode, I have a very special guest, Matthew Frey. His book, This Is How Your Marriage Ends, was an absolute game changer for me. Um, The title was a little scary. I thought, well, I'm not thinking about getting a divorce, so I don't need to read that book. But I couldn't be more wrong. It's, It's really about how to preserve relationships, not only marriages, but I think relationships between family members, even employers. He just beautifully... Illustrates different perspectives, specifically, you know, male and female. I guess in more of a in a hetero relationship. But you guys, the teachings are applicable, I think, to a lot of different areas of our lives. We talk about all sorts of stuff. We talk about, you know, what things our partners do that really get under our skin, and should we sweat the small stuff? Um, should we let it go? Should we bring it up? Also, the concept of like, are you, you know? <laughs> responsible for having sex with your partner, maybe if you even don't feel like it. So we talk about duty sex. We talked about a whole bunch of stuff and I could have talked to him for hours, but we kept it short. It's like a tight 30-ish minutes. So please definitely check out more of his content. Um, Again, his book is called This Is How Your Marriage Ends. And I listened to it on Audible first and he's got a great voice and I loved it. So I hope you enjoy Matthew, I am so excited to have you on as a guest today. This has been a few weeks in the works, and in that time, I've been able to listen to your book, This Is How Your Marriage Ends, which you guys, I don't care if you're married or not, I think that this is just a book on relationships. I think that it's helpful to anybody who reads it, and I felt like this book manifested in a time in my life when I really needed it, and so I just want to start by saying thank you for writing it, because... I got to assume, you know, with kind of the man card and the bro culture, too, being able to come from this angle of authenticity and to admit that you used to be a shitty husband had to be pretty brave and might have been a little triggering.
1: No, thank you. It was, thank you so much for saying all of it, triggering in that it was an emotional experience at times, sitting where I'm sitting right now, actually, but just facing a different direction, writing that. Yeah. Yeah, there were some hard moments where you come face to face with yourself, but I'd had so much practice to be fair right i started blogging back in 2013 and so i'd more or less been like doing that self like introspection work. Yeah. and so i'd had practice identifying things that i'd done that i'm not proud of yeah and it's easier for me to say that because i used to feel a ton of shame and, and judgment about it and and now i don't yeah like, right I, I, the whole point is i don't think it's a bunch of bad people doing bad things out there destroying their relationships Undoubtedly it happens some of the time. Yeah. But I think the most common story is what we would, I think, if we're generalizing, consider good people. Right. Who want to be married and who who have the best of intentions. They're still doing things that result in pain for their relationship partner. Yeah. Right. That erodes trust and safety over time. And then you don't get to have a, a healthy marriage anymore. And, and yeah.
0: And you dive into those beautiful nuances in the book. And for for the listeners who are unfamiliar, I'm going to give you my cliff notes of what I think it's about. And then I would love to hear Matthew say if he agrees. So this book found me via Eve Rotsky and Fair Play. You guys know I love that book. I was invited to a private screening of the new documentary, Fair Play. And Matthew is this wonderful relationship coach who works with some of the, the couples in the film that feel like the wife is carrying the bulk of the invisible work burden. And invisible work is a lot of stuff that gets taken for granted, right? It's like refilling the pantry with stuff. It could be grocery shopping. It could be booking appointments for the kids. It could be really just anything that goes unseen in a relationship. And it definitely, I feel like, compounds once you bring kids into the picture. So, I was sitting there watching this documentary and I was just blown away because I felt like there were so many women gasping in the room, right? There were a lot of these men featured and God love them for being, agreeing to be in this documentary who you could see just kind of fumbling their relationships apart, right? And these women are just kind of suffering in silence. And so I said, I have to read this book. And I, I even kind of checked myself because my husband and I share an Audible account. And I didn't want him to see the title and get freaked out, right? This is how your marriage ends. And it's this beautiful visual of this vase that is cracked with these flowers in it. But I think probably a minute or two into listening, because I'm an audible listener. I like to walk. And Matthew has a wonderful voice. So I highly recommend the Audible. But then you gotta get, then you gotta get the actual print book as well, because you got to go back and like highlight stuff. But he really gives this wonderful perspective of the man, which I don't think that we get a lot. I think that. On a lot of podcasts or things like that, it might be veiled with some sort of other conditioning, right, of like how men should respond to things. And I think it took a lot of guts to admit that sometimes good men can be shitty husbands. And Matthew admits to that himself. So that was my take on the book. And there were all of these wonderful eye-opening exercises and things that you could do. And I started using them with my husband and then giving him the cliff notes of the book. And now he's listening to it. But I think that it's a wonderful way to just kind of shore up your relationship and be able to see both perspectives, which Matthew does brilliantly in this book. Did I get it about right?
1: I leave the superlatives to you. That is really kind and flattering. Thank you. Okay. No, right. It's, I mean, you, you summed it up beautifully. I just have this take that there's a lot of, it's a huge misunderstanding, I think, is the average story in the average relationship. Going to those guys that you... Described in, in fair play, right? It, I don't think any of them have like poor character necessarily. I think they have massive blind spots around how things they do or things they don't do result in the experience that their, their relationship partners are having. Yeah. And a failure to understand how your relationship partner is feeling, particularly when it's negative, right? L- decreases trust in a relationship.
0: Yeah. Well, I think you tell the story of the cup by the sink, and I would love for you to tell our listeners just kind of a brief overview of what that was in your relationship and what that represented. Uh, So, all right.
1: So it was a drinking glass. I used to leave like by my sink. It was to take vitamins and, you know, like medicine and crap in the morning. And there was a conversation in our relationship about whether that glass should be there or not. And I used to get frustrated with her for, you know, what I perceived be her like complaining to me or nagging me or giving me grief about it i'm like who elevates a glass by the sink to a marriage problem like who does that Like, there's all these big important things in the world right there's all these things that matter and there's things that don't matter and it's like why are you giving me trouble about things that don't matter was my general assessment of the situation and yeah. i know i've come to believe something radically different about what that glass represents and so back in 2016 i wrote an article it is to this day, the most popular thing that I've ever written, the most read thing that I've ever written. And the, the title of the blog post was She Divorced Me Because I Left Dishes by the Sink. Pretty good chance somebody listening's yeah. like read that book. Right. It's right. It, it serves as this like interesting sort of way to think about like what's allowed to matter to somebody in a relationship. And criticism I get is almost always from men, not always, but often. And, and the feedback is Matt, Taking all the blame for your marriage here, why aren't your feelings, your opinions, about the glass taken into as much account as your wife's? Why aren't your your voice allowed to be heard as much as hers? Why can't your desire to put the glass there equal the same as her desire to not have it be there? And so maybe her intolerance to your desires is the reason that your marriage ended, right? I get that feedback all right. the time. And I used to not know how to answer that. And I think that I do today. I think that the most fundamentally true thing about that scenario is, My feelings absolutely matter as much as my wife. That's A. B. Every time I had to go into the cabinet or the dishwasher to extract a glass in order to take the vitamins and medicine I took, I never once felt pain. Not one time did anything sort of negative or bad happen within me. There was no harm. But whether I perceive it to be fair or or reasonable, isn't really relevant. When my wife walked in the room to discover the glass by the sink, she did have a negative experience. There was pain. And because I think I've come to understand that for my wife, the glass sitting there was a piece of evidence that communicated to her, I'm married to somebody who will always do whatever he wants, whatever he thinks, whatever he feels, and he will continually choose himself over me. Because no matter how many times I try to advocate yeah. for these things that I care about, he either does them intentionally because I don't matter to him or he does them thoughtlessly because I don't matter to him because I'm not important enough for him to even consider and remember and think about. And so I just yeah. think that is more, or less. and everybody's got a dish by the sink in their relationship. Everybody's got probably probably 30 of them, you know, right. like things that each relationship partner views through an entirely different lens and it is inability for one to like apply the correct not the correct i really mean accurate meaning right people are allowed to interpret the world differently and i think it's fine right we just had election day in the united states like people think and feel very strongly differently about things and, and one isn't necessarily more right than the other from like a third party perspective right but these People on opposite sides of the political aisle don't necessarily need to trust each other because they live in the same home, because they right. promise to love and serve each other all the days of their lives. Right. Not honoring that which matters to another human being with whom you share bed, children, money, homes, that is the recipe for trust erosion. And then you don't get to have a functional relationship. Right. And I find I, that to be a tragic story that good people accidentally poison their relationships.
0: I love that you say that it, you know, so many times throughout the book, Matthew. Explains that without trust, there is no relationship, right? So that trust erosion for me in my marriage, the the glass by the sink, if you will, would be when my husband says he's going to be done with work at five, right? So, especially when the kids were little and the nanny would leave at like three or whatever. So, I would take my time that I could have been applying towards my career or, you know, clearing things off the deck, if you will. And he would promise he'd be out at five to kind of tag in and just be with us. And So many days, it would be like 5.05, 5.10, 5.15. And it's the whole, well, he's working, you know, like give him a break. Well, I'm fucking working too. And I I came down here at three o'clock to relieve the nanny, right? So every time he would come out and he would, I told him, you know, it's a betrayal. This really is a betrayal. You said you'd be out here at five. All I needed you to do if one day it's running long is to duck your head out and say, it's five o'clock. I know I said I'd be here. I've got one more email or whatever. But he wouldn't do that. He would just try to cram it in and skate out as close to five as possible. And that became a huge issue. Like the five o'clock, this is what time you said. Because to your point, Matthew, I don't think I could verbalize it then. I just got really pissed off and would then give him the silent treatment or withhold sex or something. But in the moment, it was, I told him this is very important to me and I'm out here with our baby and he can't be out here at five o'clock. Like, what the fuck? This is not a hard ask, right? It's like, the, it's like the dish by the sink. And I think what Matthew brilliantly goes in the book too and talks about is like duty sex, you know, all of this stuff. And that is one thing that I get a lot of feedback from clients about when they do start to really have this trust erosion or there is some invalidation of what they see as a priority. And then now the sex is just another thing they have to check off the list. And I love that in your book, you said, under no circumstances is that your wifely duty? Should you be having sex when you don't want to have sex? So, is that another area that you get a lot of feedback from from the book, or do people not really want to bring that up? I
1: wouldn't, I don't, I, in, my, in my coaching sessions, it mm. is such a frequent like dynamic in a relationship. And yeah. I mean, I, discussing it 45 minutes ago, it's, unwanted sex isn't okay. Right. Can we like right. societally agree that the decent thing is that people should not have sex when they don't want to? Yes. Okay. But you, you do run into this issue in, in like monogamous relationships. And, and I, I think it's a fair question is like, what's the responsibility of a person to like meet quote unquote sexual needs, Like, Man, like the thing that I'm almost always, if I'm working with male clients, which I usually am, in, in heterosexual relationships, is like my most common client. How about we behave in a manner that results <laughs> in our relationship partners wanting to sleep with us? Like, how about that? Right. Like, right. How about we do things designed to elicit like the reaction? And it, right. And it's nuanced. It is. It is intimate emotional connectivity because because the experience of living with us is one that says, this person loves me, has my back, sees me, knows me, cares about me, right? Cares about my pleasure points physically and otherwise, right? Right. Does things that honor my experiences. I feel completely seen, listened to, loved, supported, right? He's never once made me feel like an animated masturbatory device, like a thing to be like leveraged for his pleasure. I always feel like a human that he truly like cherishes and respects. And that makes me want to engage in intimacy with them.
0: I love that. And there's so many, like, I think it's turned into like fodder on Instagram too. Like, you know, memes of guys emptying the dishwasher and then like girls kind of looking, you know, from lovingly from the side, like, like it's a turn on. And I kind of laugh at that, but I'm also like, okay, we also don't want men just doing this stuff as a leverage to get sex. Like, God, just do it because it is not you taking stuff off my plate, you know, as Eve says in Fair Play too. It's, it's because you are an adult in this relationship and these are inherently your responsibilities as much as they are mine. And so I feel like it's almost going down this other road of like men now feeling like that's the Spanish fly or whatever. It's like, ooh, I'll unload the dishwasher. And then she owes me because I unloaded the dishwasher or I'm going to do this And I love how you in in your book and in your work really bring to the forefront a much more egalitarian, mature conversation around this, which is it isn't doing something to get something. You aren't snuggling with me because you hope it's going to turn into something. I feel like that's a big one too. God, women just want to be held and they want to know that it's not, okay, after 10 minutes, he's going to try to have sex now. Or because we decided just to cuddle tonight, he's going to expect sex tomorrow night. Like the expectation of that and these wifely duties is is so interesting to me of like how we got to this place.
1: I no, I mean, right. I don't know what to say, because honestly, this is not an area. I've had a lot of blind spot in my life. Right, I was a undoubtedly shitty relationship partner, but but I've. I've been blessed to never feel entitled to sex. I'm grateful great. that that was not yeah. a demon I had to battle. I have no idea what set of circumstances or what sort of behaviors modeled or what messages are getting to young boys and right. stereotyping that communicates this notion of you're right. owed or entitled to this.
0: I wanted to ask you too. So I had a male client the other day who's getting ready to propose. And we had talked about, you know, how much time they're spending together, him and his soon-to-be fiance. And there's not a lot. And you talk about this list of priorities, right? Like, what are your actual priorities? Is it, I think you said, like birth, family, spouse, work, hobbies. And it was funny because I talked to my husband about that. And I said, well, what do you think your ranking would be of priorities? And, you know, of course, it was like you and then the kids and then work and then hobbies. I was like, right. But I think you would throw us in front of a bus if somebody offers a tea time. Like I was, I had my second daughter and less than six weeks after I birthed her and I had a two-year-old as well. He went to Pebble Beach, right? Now it was a once in a lifetime trip. It was his company paid for it and I somewhat co-signed on it, but here we are eight years later and I'm so a little pissed, you know, like I, I love how you really call out, like actually show me what your priorities are because I do think if golf came up, you would be fucking out of here tomorrow.
1: And, and you get to Elizabeth, I don't presume to speak for you, but please acknowledge or dispute this. I feel very strongly that if you were married to the kind of person that was super mindful about how you might, if he was just the kind of person that had a really accurate understanding of how you might feel leaving six weeks after birth, you'd also have been in a relationship environment at that time that I think would have Him leaving wouldn't have equaled what it equaled for you back then. It would have meant something different. Just talking to you about it ahead of time and saying, "It's not okay for me to ditch you in week six after the baby." Like, right? I'm sure I pressured
0: him to go too. I'm sure I was like, "Go," because I don't want the guilt of you not ever going to Pebble Beach. And and I have to, you know, asterisk here. Ryan, my husband, is incredible and. But everybody, ha- I mean, this is a this is a safe place of vulnerability and authenticity. I'm not going to sit here and act like we have the perfect marriage. We don't. It goes up and down. But I'm just highlighting some of the low points here for conversation purposes.
1: Sure. And as I that. was just saying to my guy again a little bit ago, I, I would never, I hope anybody listening wouldn't perceive that as some sort of judgment or referendum on anything. I don't think him going to Pebble Beach is is bad. I don't think it's like immoral. Right. But if it, if it yields pain for you, if it, if it results in like like a negative experience and/or damage to the relationship, I think that needs to be calculated for by, by a considerate relationship partner. And, right. and, then, and then he or she can make that choice. But to me, what the danger is not knowing that if I go do this, harm is going to be caused in my relationship, and me being blind to that is going to only contribute to this. Sensation, this experience of I'm somebody they can't trust to even understand like what is good or bad for them. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. We're usually somebody blind to what is experienced as good or bad in, in a nuanced way to other people. And then often, if we're in like the shitty husband or shitty relationship partner category, we're also not very good at navigating the conversation of them saying something about it. So, okay, so I'm experiencing something that's uncomfortable to me. I'm going to courageously bring it up in my relationship. You know, male relationship partners in heterosexual relationships listening to this. How often can you go to your male partner and tell them something's wrong? What is your expectation about the degree to which he's going to demonstrate, like, understanding, empathy and a desire to make sure that that sort of experience doesn't happen to you again? Like I bet right. it's, I bet it's appallingly little how many yes. people trust their husband or boyfriend or family, whoever to do that. And, and my work is about making it so that people can trust. Ugh, that I can I come it. say, hey, something's wrong. And then it's going to get dealt with in a manner that literally repairs whatever's wrong. Even if it's some benign thing like a dish by the sink or a toilet yeah. seat being left up or, or being five minutes late you know, right? again, if Ryan's exhibiting different habits and patterns and, and communication styles with you, you don't associate five or 10 minute delay as a betrayal.
0: Right. You don't. Right. I love that you say that. So, so this client who's getting ready to get married, I said, you know, you have to listen to this book or read this book because I feel like for people in relationships too, if you feel like you're headed towards that road of commitment, this is a great way to like bring awareness to some of your blind spots, right? Or to like educate yourself before you start making these mistakes. So then he said to me, I said, you know, your relationship, you say it's great. You know, what do you feel like is the key to that? And he goes, well, we just don't sweat the small stuff. But I feel like in your book, right? The dish by the sink, the extra five minutes, some people could say those are small, small things. So what do you say to people when they might kind of come back and say, you know what, if we just, neither of us sweats the small stuff, it'll be fine.
1: I mean, I think it's awesome if you're married to somebody that their their experience is one where you universally agree on what the small stuff is. And when that occurs, neither of you feel, feel bad about it. Like, that's cool. And some people do, right? Find relationship partners where we're sort of on the same wavelength about those things. I mean, the way that I would my my retort is we don't get to tell people we don't get to tell people that something didn't hurt them when it did or vice versa. Right. Like there's so many examples of this, like sociopolitically in this country. And but just within our relationships, it's a dangerous game to think that my interpretation of whether something is harmful or not should universally dictate like the experiences of someone else. And that was that was truly like kind of my disposition and my merit. My wife yeah. would say, hey, this thing was like sucked for me. And then if I was like, hey, that doesn't make sense for that to suck for you. Right. The, the implication yeah. is, hey, what you think is wrong. Yeah. And I think that the uh, cynical implication is that you're stupid, you're crazy, or you're just wrong about this. Yeah. Or there's something off about the way you feel about this. I think the cynical implication is. You're hypersensitive, you're weak, you're overreacting, you're being a drama
0: queen. Right.
1: And then as you know, I think the third way we frequently respond to people is really defensively. filtering every life situation possible through the lens of self, feeling misjudged, feeling misunderstood, and then saying, Hey, I did nothing wrong. So whatever pain you're feeling, whatever inconvenient emotions you're dealing with right now are your problem and not mine. Not blaming me for that. These are the three responses. Something's wrong with your brain. Something's wrong with your feelings. Something's like you're you're treating me unfairly by suggesting I did something wrong right now. And I'm going to be defensive. Those are the three versions I think we just habitually bring to disagreement relationally. And I think damage the degree of trust and intimacy and connectivity we have between us when we do that. That to me is the small thing that happens thousands of times in in a a long-term relationship. And after 10, 20 years of that, a lot of pain sets in for the yeah. person who's perpetually told, sorry, what you think or feels wrong. There's nothing wrong with me. So it's your problem. Right. The experience is you're on your own to feel this bad thing. I don't have your back because I don't agree. You should feel it in the first place.
0: Right. And I think it, the door swings the other way. I've started to notice myself dismissing some of Ryan's emotions. Right, I think a lot of times he can feel invisible because it's me and the girls, and sometimes he'll say like, "Does anybody even hear me?" And then I'm like, "Okay, you know," and I I feel bad because it can be just him asking us how our days were, but we're just in our girl bubble, snuggling, you know, on the couch. And part of me is like, "All right, well, if you're out here at five o'clock, you would know," you know. Like, I think there's this low key retribution too that not a lot of people talk about. This passive aggressive, maybe even subconscious. Once you get to that level, it's like, okay you dismiss my feelings, so I'm going to do it too, but maybe in a more low-key way that isn't so obvious. So I feel like a lot of my girlfriends too, they'll do, they'll cut back, if you will, you know, the death by a thousand paper cuts. And then at the end of the day, you're just slightly, you know, cutting each other. But at the end of the day also, and you say beautifully in the book, well, you know, he's still a good guy, so you can't divorce him. He hasn't cheated on you. He's not an alcoholic or a gambler. All Something like that could be incredibly impactful. Not that all those relationships need to end in divorce. But I think what's so beautifully purposeful about your book is you say, you know, broken marriages lead to broken people lead to broken children. And as I'm a product of divorced parents, and it absolutely breaks you, <laughs> like it absolutely fucks you up. And so that doesn't mean stay together because of the kids. You know, if there's If there's a situation where you've come to a conclusion that this is just not salvageable and you need to move on, then by all means do that. But at the same time, like the kids are watching the paper cuts, too. It's not just don't break up for the kids. It's also don't treat each other like shit and invalidate each other's feelings in front of the kids because they're watching. They're watching Ryan say, I feel like nobody's listening to me. Am I even here? They're learning from me that it's okay to be dismissive of your partner and they're learning from him that it's okay to break promises. And that is the big, I think that is the big takeaway from this too, is like if a lot of the parents, that's our heartstring, right? That's the motivator is the kids is maybe you need to just let the kids be the motivation to start fixing some of the big cuts in your marriage.
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with whatever motivation exists to, again, I don't think these problems are magically going to go away with some new person. I mean, hypothetically, if everybody's got their eyes wide open. But the truth is, most people don't think about their relationship, let's say skills, particularly, I think, Matt, they just they don't think of it like that. They're just like, I'm good enough. She liked me in a lot of cases, like he was pursued by her. He felt maybe a little pressured to like commit. And Mm. and then suddenly like, wait, I'm not good enough now. Like, Brandy. that's really frustrating for a lot of guys. And I've, it. yeah, you know, I haven't done anything like bad or wrong. And I see all this awful stuff in the world. And I, I know all these people who treat their wives like really horribly. And I don't do any of that. And it's like I get no credit for anything decent or good or any sacrifice I made. And I feel constantly picked on. And I really do understand that perspective. It's identical Absolutely. to how I felt in my relationship. Yeah. And I don't mean to imply that these men, are bad, that they deserve to hurt, that they deserve to be left. It's not even about that. It's not, it's not even about him. He doesn't deserve to be left. It's not about retribution. It's my wife. I didn't quote unquote deserve to be left. Right? That's right. not how I think about it. What I think about is my wife, for the better part of 13 years, could never hurt without my approval and feel loved after, feel supported afterwards, hmm. feel seen and heard afterwards exhibit or experience me exhibiting a desire to repair whatever was wrong. It never happened. If I judged what she was thinking or what she was feeling to not be correct or fair or reasonable or whatever, I behaved in a manner that resulted in more pain and that communicated that just what I thought and felt mattered more to me than what she thought and felt. And I'm not saying that makes a guy bad as like a character, as like a human being. It doesn't make him a bad person. But it might make him a non-optimum relationship partner whose behavior equals pain for you. And should you subject yourself to that pain over and over again voluntarily for the rest of your life, it's up for an individual to decide. Yeah. But I understand why she chose not to. Right. And I I if I met like her clone, so to speak, like in my coaching work and heard the identical story, right, that she experienced with me, you know, I would defend, quote unquote defend, not not justifying his actions. But I would say, well, I don't think this is a bad person who doesn't love you. Right. I understand that that what he does hurts. And and if you can't trust him to like go up and, and, and communicate, I don't know what you're supposed to do. Right. Like, What are you supposed to do if you can't advocate for yourself and, and ask for help, not hurting anymore? Yeah. Um, I keep using the word hurt and pain because. Because I have to protect my relationship partner from pain, and that's an easy concept for me to understand. It's not easy for me to understand why the glass matters. It's not. I don't think it matters. I still, by the way, personally, I still don't think it matters. I'll right. never agree that it matters. It's not about that, though. It's about if I leave that glass there, does it does it hurt? Does it register as pain because it feels like I don't care about you? Like you can't trust me to like value that which matters to you, that which affects you. And, it, and yes, well, then you need to be able to trust me not to leave the glass there. And that matters to me. I don't ever want to communicate to you that you don't matter, that you're invisible, that you're small, that that you're not worth my time to like, you know, like think about where the laundry goes and whether the toilet seat's left in a certain position or the state of the bathroom sink after I shave. Those are all things everybody's got a different pain tolerance about. But if I happen to be married to somebody where the or or just with somebody, that the result of any of those things equals something negative or painful. Oh my God, I don't want to know about it. I'm desperate yeah. to know about that today because it's not okay for you to feel hurt because of things I'm not like tending to is the way that I approach it today. And yeah. I wish I'd approached it that way 10, 15 years ago, it would have saved a lot of grief.
0: Yeah. Well, your book is everything. You guys, I can't vouch for it enough. I think, I think that a lot of these teachings in here too, and a lot of this awareness that's gifted in this book, this is how your marriage ends. It's great for anybody in a relationship or if you are thinking about getting married. I think a lot of this is applicable to non-romantic relationships too. The validation thing is huge. It goes towards family members, friendships, employers, all of it. So do yourself a favor, pick it up. This isn't just a book that you passive-aggressively give to your husband and tell him to fix his side of the road. You have to fix yours too. I definitely had blind spots that your book helped me see. And I feel like because of it, you know, Our marriage is stronger. And I thank you for that. So thank you for sharing your insights with us today, Matthew. You guys go out and get get his book. This is how your marriage ends. Matthew, is there any like last thought you'd like to leave our listeners with today? I don't think so. I really think the last one is the one is
1: is this notion of pain. I, I I think some people really get frustrated and it feels like, well, my preferences don't seem to be valued by this other person. They're fighting for their preferences. And that is a really difficult conversation where it's yeah. like, I would prefer it this way. They prefer it that way. Why isn't that equal? And really, like, really try hard to dig a little bit deeper. Sometimes it's, it is just a preference. It's chocolate versus vanilla. Right? It's yeah. like apple juice versus grape juice. It's whatever. It's just some people like certain things more than other things. Sometimes that is all it is. And compromises, is, is a lot easier to do when you have a healthy relationship. Sometimes pain happens when a particular thing isn't honored. And I I'd take a second look if it feels like we're constantly like bickering over just our, our preferences about something. And I, I, I posit that the absence of honoring that which matters to another person will always result in pain over time. If they're like, this matters to me and I can't trust them to care about it or whoever them to care about right. it. We're never going to have a healthy relationship. And, and that to me is the lens I think through which we should discuss domestic household responsibility, for example, or yes. how much time we're spending parenting or cuddling or anything.
0: Yeah. Anything. I feel like what you're saying too is, is like your partner is supposed to be the person that you love the most, they love you the most, and you have each other's back. And it feels like a lot of times we don't have each other's back, right? We aren't validating these things. We're shit talking each other with friends or whatever. And then they pile on. And then before you know it, your husband's a piece of shit, you know, and he's not like, I think too, well-meaning girlfriends sometimes really love to like get in your stuff and then like add gas to the fire. So I would say watch that too, because if the narrative is your husband's lazy or he's unhelpful or any of these other things that men can Unfairly be categorized as that's going to be a recipe for disaster. And I think the first thing we should do as women is really start supporting each other's relationships and rooting for the relationships and helping them maybe see the good in their husbands versus really trying to like pick at something and make it bigger to the point where it can't be healed. So thank you, Matthew, for your time. I really appreciate you today. You guys, again, I can't say it enough. There's only a few books. That I like vouch for as life-changing, and this is one of them. So go get This Is How Your Marriage Ends by Matthew Frey.